you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, two weeks ago, we, we began chapter 11. We, we took a little break last week at the camp out talking about community uh, under one father. But we are back in Hebrews 11, and when we said a, a few things that were really important for us to remember, so I'm just going to hit them real quickly. First off, I reminded you that this is the year that I'm asking you that we're pushing on you guys to risk faith. That ultimately that there is a faith that you have that came from the Lord and that God is going to call you to lead you to risk that in ways. And I asked you to start praying specifically how God was asking you to do that, how God would be leading in that. Second thing is we realize that even though this entire chapter says the re- on repeat, by faith, by faith, by faith, it's not really a great definition of faith. And ultimately we aren't necessarily going to come out of this going, oh, okay, I fully understand exactly how to define faith. So that this is going to be one of those ways in which we're seeing how faith, risking faith, the faith that God has given and implanted in people, will cause them to then act in obedience or sacrifice or love or to walk with God. But ultimately, it's a faith that comes from Him. We say kind of a really basic, basic definition was taking God at His word and confidently acting on it in obedience. But ultimately, we know that this has been kind of the, the purpose and the running and the, and the, the push for the book of Hebrews. He said that they've been, he's been spending 10 chapters talking about who Jesus Christ is and how important he is and how much greater he is than anything else. And then he comes into chapter 11 and starts talking about these different people that lived and were called pillars. I challenged all of us saying last week what, or two weeks ago, what would, what would God say by faith you did what? By faith Bren does what? What was the question? What are the things that God would say about your life? Hebrews 6, 11, 12 says, We desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, that you may not be sluggish, but, and this is where we see it, imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Hebrews has been about these people that are patient, enduring, pushing through suffering, through tribulation, through trials, being faithfully confident to not shrink back and to stand firm in the Lord. And that's where we get. And then he comes out of the gate fairly hot with this Cain and Abel story. In verse, in verse 4, he says, he comes in, and at first when we look at it at chapter 11, when we, when we see verse 4, it just kind of seems like an open and cut, um, shut case. Okay, this makes sense. This is what it's saying. But as we look a little bit further, we'll hopefully learn a little bit more of what God is trying to show us. Uh, I'll, I'll confess, like I did two weeks ago, I feel like all of these um, individuals' lives, and as I've, I've, as I've been studying them, are, are more and more perplexing for me even as I get into them. And it's just profound how, how alive God's Word is and how incredible He can be and faithful to show us more and more as we dig into it. So verse 4 of chapter 11 begins with something that we'll hear over and over again, by faith. By faith what? Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through, through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And so at the beginning, it, it just looks like, okay, well, this is pretty obvious. Obviously, Abel brought a sacrifice that was commended, was, was greater than Cain's. In fact, it was something that he did was great. And we see now that the author says, well, it's because he was righteous that he did this. He was righteous, and therefore, that's what God is, why God is accepting his gift. And he did so through faith. And so we see that, that offering something to the Lord has to take faith. So when we think about offering our time or our finances or all these things, it, to do it void of faith seems like there's, there's, a, there's an incongruency with the Scripture here. But it, but it doesn't really unfold the whole story here. And so if, if you will, I want you to just turn back in your Bibles to the very first book. Genesis chapter 4 is where we're going to go. We're going to read here. And there's, there's really three Scriptures 
that I think three sets of scriptures, including this Hebrews one, that I think will help us understand more of what God is wanting to show us out of this wonderful text. Um, Back at Genesis chapter 4, very, very beginning. Right after the fall, it's literally the transition. The, 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 Jesus, the God just basically tells uh, Adam and Eve what's going to happen to them and how he's going to restore through uh, crushing the serpent. And then it literally transitions. Now Adam and Eve, verse, verse 1 in chapter 4. Now Adam and Eve, his wife, or Adam, sorry, Adam knew his Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord, and again, she bore his brother Abel. So we don't get a lot of context. We just know that they're, they're born, and this is after this transition. We don't know how long it's been necessarily. But basically, at this time, it's kind of once upon a time, or at this, at this moment, Adam knew his wife, and this is where we're at. Now Abel, now again, another transition. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep. So obviously this isn't him coming out of the womb and being a keeper of sheep. He's grown at some point, so there's some time here. We don't get any information on what Cain and Abel's relationship was like up until him becoming this keeper of sheep. We don't have any context for that. It just, it's, it's incredibly ambiguous, right? He says, says and, and again, okay, so, oh, so now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground in the course of time. So it's another transition. So we don't know how much time has gone and scholars have tried to make some kind of, some kind of differentiation here, but some agree that it could be almost 100 years at this point or it could literally be one week after the other after they've obviously come of age to be these specific people and jobs. So now it came again uh, a time. Uh, now Abel was a groundkeeper. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit first of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Regard is an interesting word. It's 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 he had pleasure. He had full on pleasure, to look at it with favor, to favor look on. Essentially, this clause could say that Abel and his gift pleased the Lord. Okay, so that's, that's important for us to understand. So Abel and his gift pleased the Lord. And the Lord had regard for Abel's name. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So in essence, if we're going to define it as the Lord was pleased with Abel and his gift, then ultimately right here it says the Lord is not pleased with Cain and his gift. And so we see this right here. And then it goes on and says, so Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. Think about that. It's contrary. Contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. We don't know how long this was after God's conversation with him, but, but he speaks to him and says, again, and they were in the field. Some manuscripts of the Septuagint, the old Greek manuscripts, talk about how Cain leads Abel to the field. Some say he was just having a conversation and they were walking, but either way, they're out away from people and they're by themselves. And Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? That's not usually how you should answer the Lord, just in case you're wondering. Um, but this is where that statement comes from. So, um, The voice of your brothers, then the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. 
Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Now, he's acknowledging that punishment should happen. He's not saying, why do you punish me? Well, what's going on? He's saying, no, the punishment that you're giving me, it's too great for me to bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, what he was created to be, keeper of the ground. And from your face I shall be hidden, meaning I no longer get to stay home, but I'm a wanderer. I'm not in your presence. I'm being pushed out. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. So here's this, this story, and, and we, we come to this part. And there's a number of things. At first, I want to just kind of pause. There's, there's three really profound things we can learn about God in this text before we even get to whole Abel and Cain. Okay? And I, the, the first one is we can see that, that ultimately God is incredibly, incredibly awesome. Okay? He's amazing, right? But he, he, he gives us a warning. Did you pick up on that? Before Cain has done what he's doing to Abel, God shows up and says, what's wrong? What are you doing? Don't, you don't have to go through with this. Now remember, God is omniscient. He knows what's going to happen. He knows where this is going. But he comes to him and says, hey, you can still do good. You can still do it. Even though I am not pleased with your offering and I'm not pleased with you in this moment, there's still a way in which you can do it. And he says, look, sin is crouching at the door. That is a, a message I don't have time to go into, but that is something we should all think about. Sin is not something we, we dabble in. It is desiring to devour us. It is at the literally hiding spot where we're walking in our normal life and it's ready to just pounce on us at any moment. And God in his amazingness, awesomeness, and beautifulness, he gives Canaan out before it even happens. He didn't have to. He didn't have to come to him and say, well, what's going on? The second part we can, we can see out of this is, is another really, really great thing is that he, he literally engages in Cain with his emotions. He shows a tenderness to him. He says, why is your face fallen? This literally, this face fallen term is, is literally, can actually, it's a Hebrew idiomatic expression for depression. It's, a, it's literally, it's not like he's just sad for a moment. He's, he's feeling depressed. He's coming and God is counseling a depressed man. He's asking him questions. He's not telling him why his face has fallen. He could have, hey, you're sad because you disobeyed or because your heart was this. He didn't, he doesn't do that. It's not like he's trying to understand Cain's heart. He already understands his heart. But he's a tender God. And he pulls out questions. Why is your face falling? You can still do good. He engages with him at his depressed state. Man, God is incredible. And the, the other thing, that just a small thing that we can see out of this is, is it, that's a really big thing, is that God is gracious. Look, Cain has no grounds to justify what he's done. In fact, Cain is, is, by the very laws that God puts in place just after this, do death for what he did. Yet God is gracious to let him live. And God is even gracious to make sure that no one else hurts of him. And so we see this profound, big, huge, amazing thing that comes out of the scripture where God is, he's both gracious, he's tender, he's patient. He's willing to, to warn us. But this is where I got stuck why was Cain and Abel's offering different? There's a few things we have to understand here. First off, they're both offering to the Lord. I don't know if you noticed that. They're both coming with a heartfelt, big, kind of hardworking attitudes of bringing an offering. 
And a lot of scholars have argued that it's because the, the meat offering is more of a sacrifice or maybe there was fire that came down and burned up Abel's sacrifice. So that's how they know they had regard. But we know that ultimately Cain and Abel are in conversation with God. So he could have just been in conversation and seen that God had no regard for him. Not just some kind of burning fire from the heavens saying, I am approving of this sacrifice. But here's the part that changed it for me, guys. Every single person, as I read this and studied this, talked about how they were bringing their offering as a part of the Levitical system. Well, let's just pause for a moment. The Levitical system hasn't been created yet. It hasn't, this, this, this is, that's in Deuteronomy some, and then the rest of it in Leviticus. And here we have, here we have in Genesis chapter 4, just after the fall of man, just after the, the whole pronouncement of what God's going to do, the, the, the curse that comes and how God's going to, to redeem through, through a Messiah coming, and then Cain and Abel are born. And what are they doing? They're making an offering. This, this, this posed a massive question for me too. One, I think we could say is that it's fair is that both Adam and Eve in walking with the Lord knew that there was a right way to give to God, to worship God. There was an expectation recognizing that everything they had belonged to God and therefore he was worthy of worship. And I think that's, that's, a, that's an easy way to go and I think that makes sense for this text. But I also think there's something else than this that we have to see that we can't miss. We're made to worship. We are made to worship. And we are either going to worship God or we are going to worship something else. The very root of who we are, the very inner being, and we all feel this. We all feel this. It's why we, we can tend to, to idolize certain aspects. We can find ourselves overly attracted and our attention fully fixated on something very, very small. We're made to worship. But Cain and Abel both were worshiping the Lord. They brought this gift. And we, Hebrews tells us that Abel's is received because he's righteous, but it doesn't say that here. We don't see any of that. It's, it's, just, it's just open. This is how it happened. This is what, what takes place. And then if you go to one more scripture, move all the way. It's actually be on the slides for you. It's in 1 John. But if you just think about timelines alone, this is interesting. And I, I promise we'll hopefully land this. Timelines alone. Genesis 4 is essentially the first book written. Genesis is the first book written. 1 John is one of the last books written. So we got almost bookends of the Bible to bring a little bit of clarity to Cain and Abel. What does it say in 1 John 3, 11 through 15? First, before we go there, we have to understand the context. In 1 John 2, something profound is happening. 1 John 2, 28 tells us to do something that we should remember because 10, verse, or Hebrews 10 tells us the same thing. It says, do not shrink back, but stand in confidence at the coming of the Lord. 2, 28 tells us that. It says, don't shrink back, stand in confidence. Well, what did Hebrews 10 tell us? 1038 and 39, don't shrink back, stand in confidence to the end, right? It's right after he's talking about the Antichrist and everything else. And then 1 John 3, 7 says, whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous, okay? And then it goes right down into verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. I mean, this, this is it from the beginning, that we should love one another. This isn't new. This isn't different. We should love one another. This should be common for us. He says, we should not be like Cain, who was the evil, evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? This is just a lens in here. Why did he murder Abel? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because the, we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, 
and know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So why was Abel's sacrifice accepted? Because he's righteous. Why was Cain's not accepted? Because he's evil. Well, how do we, how do we get this righteousness that Hebrews tells us it's by faith that he gave this offering? How did, how did Abel give by faith because of the righteousness that he had? Well, how do we get this righteousness? Through our faith in Christ, the righteousness of God is given to us. This is, called, this is called imputed righteousness. Now, I know there's lots of arguments about that, but to impute something is to ascribe or to attribute something to someone. When we place our faith, when we place our lives in Christ, in God's hand, in Christ, God ascribes perfect righteousness of Christ to our account so that we become perfect in his sight. We see this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him, speaking of Jesus, to be sin who know no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As understanding this this week, I don't know how I missed it, changed this text completely for me. Because Abel's sacrifice was no different than Cain's. It was of the first fruits. And some could argue, well, you know, he brought the first lamb out, and he didn't know how many lambs he was going to get, so by faith he believed in his future. But the same was true of, of Cain and the produce. It could have easily been bugs that came and wiped out everything. You know how, like, a lot of us give to God, well, I plan on giving 10%, but ooh, I need to do this, so it's going to be 5, 6, 4, 3, 2. We kind of we adjust. Faith is giving before you even know what's coming out because you just trust God. You have faith in him and his promises and his future and what his word says. And so they both brought an offering, but it's not until 1 John that we see that Cain is evil and Abel is righteous. Thousands of years later, we get this definition. So how does this play out for us? A couple things I think we can apply to this. First is, there are three ways to worship God. Three ways to worship God. Two that lead to death and one that leads to life. The first way to worship, or the, the first way to worship is we, we worship anything but God. We look for anything else to be our salvation. Anything but God. We worship money. We worship relationships. We worship our education. We worship our life. We worship our comfort. Anything but God. And that leads to death. And just in case you're wondering, like, wait, what if I don't want to worship something? It's not going to happen. You were made to worship. Go back to Cain and Abel. It just, it's just in us. We want to worship. So that leads to death. Worshiping anything but God leads to death. Second way that leads to death is to worship God where he has no regard for you. Now this one's a little bit more painful and a little bit more difficult for us. That means that ultimately we could be obedient to what God commands of us but still be offering something where he has no regard for it, no pleasure in it, no favor for us in it. It means I can give out of a selfish heart. I can give absorbently, an incredible amount, but have a completely evil heart. And there's no regard for that. That leads to death as well. Another way that people do this is you, you are giving, you are worshiping God in hopes to gain salvation. I'm going to do these things for you, God, so that I can be saved. I'm going to work out that that way. That's how it's going to happen. You're going you're gonna to give me salvation. You're going to give me faith because I'm so awesome, because I do these things. Look at how much I serve. Look at how awesome I am in my attendance at church. Or look at how faithful I am in my finances. Look at how many people just like me. That's not worship of God. That's worship of self. And then there's a way we can worship God that brings life. And that's to give an offering in response to the salvation that we already have, the righteousness that we already have, and gratitude. See, Abel didn't do the right thing better than Cain. He just operated out of the righteousness that was his in God alone. 
Which if you think about it, it's, it's, it's amazing because this whole by faith section, he spent 10 chapters talking about Jesus Christ. And then he talks about faith. And there are some of us that are foolish enough to think that we can have faith without Jesus Christ. A faith that would please God. That would find favor. No, to, to worship God with regard is to worship him in the way that he literally created us to be, his children. Righteous because of what Christ has done, not because of what I do or you do. It's not a works-based thing. He spent the entire book of Hebrews telling us, it's not us, it's not us, it's not us. We are anchored by Christ. We are held by Christ. He is our high priest. He is our advocate. It's him, not us. It's not my salvation. It's not my faith. It's given to me from God. And Abel did what any one of us would do with righteousness. When we are clothed in righteousness, we would offer what is rightfully God's in gratitude of what he's already done for us. In faith in what he promises to do in and through us. In faith what his scriptures have said is true. We just keep moving because we see the faithfulness of that. There's a way to worship God with regard. And that's to worship him inside of your righteousness. You know what's interesting is that Abel and Cain were both kind of made, and we could argue for this calling thing or whatever, but they were both kind of made to do things. One was Abel was a keeper, like a rancher, right? And Cain was this farmer. And they were kind of made that way. Well, you know what's amazing is they were both bringing an offering to God. What was one of the, big, what was one of the punishments for Cain? Was that he would no longer gain fruit from the soil. The soil was cursed. He would never see what he was made to do to worship God with because he exploited it, he used it, however you want to say it. He would never see that again. That's part of it. He's like, this is too much. I don't know what to do with my life, which is a lot of what all of us feel when we try to give ourselves to something other than God. We feel lost. Man, I just don't see any purpose in this job. Well, you weren't. Your purpose is Christ. Man, I just don't feel, I just, I just wish I could do something more, more amazing for God's kingdom. Well, then just submit your life to him and wherever he has you, do it for his purposes. Stop trying to put it in something else. Second thing that we can learn from this text that I think is incredible about faith, which I think is, is really what we see, if you see in 1 John and then you also see in Hebrews, is that you will be hated for righteousness. Which begs the question, if the world loves the snot out of you, are you following Christ? Look, look, I, I don't, this is not a license for somebody to be like total jerks. Like, yes, I can be a jerk. That's, that is like in opposition of God, Christ being fully grace and truth. But if you aren't operating in a way where the world say, whoa, 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 you believe what? That makes you a, a bigot. Or that makes you a racist if you believe that. Whoa, 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 whoa. You believe what? That's not loving. That's not kind. That's not accepting. Then the question is, why would John tell us? Why would Jesus tell us? Why would Hebrews tell us? Why would the scriptures tell us? Why would Abel, our very first martyr, for being what? For being righteous. All he did was be righteous, and he got killed. There's not even that many people on the earth yet. And he's like, in. First one to enter the kingdom of heaven. How does he do it? By faith. Well, what do you think it's going to be for us? It's going to be by faith for us. The world will hate you. Our faith-filled sacrifices should be causing people to hate us. That means that it doesn't make sense to the world. And look, just because just I know some of us are like, well, I sacrifice a lot, but no one's really supposed to know. Yeah, but Jesus says, let your light shine before men so that they see Christ, not you. So there's a way that our actions and our operation can be a faith that others in the, in the, behind us will go, I want to imitate that. I want to follow that. Not because they're amazing, not because Abel's amazing. I want to be righteous like Abel. It has nothing to do with Abel. It's actually all God and what he has done in Abel. 
you will be hated. The apostle John makes this super clear. He says, because Cain's deeds were evil, his brother's righteous. He says, do not be surprised, brothers, then where the world hates you. That's 1 John 12, 3, 12 and 13. Abel was the first to discover that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3, 12. He was the first one to experience that. We talked about persecution at the end of chapter 10. It's funny, remember, I, I said an oversimplification of all of Hebrews was verse 10, 34 in Hebrews. So that's, the, that's the, the most simplest oversimplification at all. And basically, what it says is that these desiring of people that will, will joyfully accept the plundering of their property, that won't run from persecution, will stand firm. When they see their brothers and sisters in pain, they don't go, oh, that's sad. They say, whoa, whoa, I need to step into this. Not, well, wait, wait, let me take care of my stuff first. Let me get my education, have my kids, do my life. Okay, when I get all these things in place, then I'll step in. He says, no, joyfully run. Joyfully accept the plundering. Look, persecution comes heavy after this book of Hebrews. So we, we should see out of Abel's life that, that ultimately our sacrifices to the Lord, our, our faith-giving sacrifices should polarize the people around us that are not the Lord's. Really should. All of Scripture teaches us that the righteous shall live by his faith, Habakkuk 2.4. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. You're gonna hear a lot about that next week. It's impossible. It is impossible to please God without faith. Well, Abel's gift, please God. Why? Because he has faith. Well, how do you have faith? Because he had the righteousness of God. It was all given to him by God. How do we get it? We get it through Jesus Christ. Submitting our life wholly to Christ as Lord and, 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 and Savior of our entire life, of our being worthy of all our worship. So if you want to keep dabbling in worshiping other things or playing these other religions, just, just know that ultimately what you're doing is you're worshiping self, and it leads to death. Abel's offering, offering was his first fruits. He proves that faith, he proves a faith in what wasn't seen yet, right? This is, I don't see it, but I, I'm going to give you my first fruits. And then we see, ultimately, we'll hear more about this actually in chapter 12, that his blood cries out to God. That is such a profound thing because ultimately his blood is crying out for justice for what had happened to him. It is a beautiful picture to Christ's blood crying out. But instead of justice for one sin, Christ's blood cries out for all sinners. So what does our faith testify? Does God get the first fruits or the leftovers in our life? Are we depending on our own strength and what we can count on through our own eyesight? Or are we able to live truly putting him first, regardless of the cost to us in this life. Abel was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. Hebrews 10, 37 says, but my righteous one, it was an Old Testament quote, my righteous one will live by faith. Guys, that means that us that are deemed righteous because of what Christ has done, we are to live by faith. If you can see every single calculated step in your life, are you living by faith? Are you just controlling the outcome? One pastor said it this way. He said, the first saint who entered heaven entered there, it is certain, by faith. It was faith that enabled him to present an acceptable sacrifice, and it was faith that presented him to heaven. If the first who entered heaven entered there by faith, rest assured that we, that will be true to the last, and none will enter there but those who believe. We have a choice to offer something to God. I mean, let me just say this. We have the scriptures that tell us we are to offer something about God. But if they weren't there, if this, was, if this was gone, and this wasn't here, and God didn't preserve this scripture for us, I truly, truly have faith and believe that the way that we were created, we still desire to worship God. Because he's created us for that. 
where that goes awry is when we try to put something else, that try to, try to have anything else sustain that kind of worship but God, and nothing can. Nothing can. And so is, is your life filled with confident action, following through on God's word, trusting him when he says things? Do you see that God is gracious and tender, that he's giving you a way out of the sins that are crouching at the door for you? He's literally giving you an off-ramp. Say, no, 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 take this exit. Take this exit. Take this exit. I tell you, there's a trap. There's a trap moving on ahead. Abel's story really doesn't tell us how to have faith, like most of these stories won't. But it shows us what faith can look like when we just submit ourselves to the very righteousness that God has given us. When, when we talk about following the Lord, when we talk about giving ourselves to God, it's going to take sacrifice. It's going to be uncomfortable. There's nowhere in the scriptures that talk about following Jesus is going to be the easiest thing in your life. It's going to be so simple. There will be no hardships. It doesn't say that anywhere. You're going to have to die to yourself daily. And that means for some of you, let me just, I'm just going to say this real quickly, and then we're going to, the band will come up in just a second. That means for some of you, your sacrifice is not a sacrifice. Let me just, let me just say that right now. You're not even considering giving the first fruits of anything in your life to God. And not just financially. I'm talking about your time, your heart, your life, your children, your marriage. Nothing's given to God. You hold it all as, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. It's time to start letting go. Recognizing that everything you have, your marriage, your education, your money, your children, everything you have is not yours, it's God's. And it's meant to be used for worshiping him and him alone. Stop worshiping your education. Stop worshiping your, your safety, your retirement. Stop worshiping your marriage. Stop worshiping your kids. Stop worshiping your spouse because none of them can sustain it. Some of you, this means that you've been coming on a, a weekly, a daily basis. Uh, every time you serve, every time you play in the band or you, you help in kids' ministry or you give money and you've been doing it with an evil heart. You've been doing it to try and earn salvation. You've been doing it to try and show God that you're worthy of what he's done, which you're not. He is. You've been worshiping God with a, with a, a brilliant offering. It's even maybe be the first fruits, but your heart is not submitted to God. And God says through 1 John that there's only one of two ways. You're either evil or you're righteous. You're not in the middle. You're not neutral. And so for some of you, that means you've got you to revamp the entire way you think about Worshiping God in music, worshiping God in your life, what it means for you to serve, what it means. You gotta, you gotta like literally say, God, peel away the layers because I got so many church layers on me that I don't even know what's real anymore. And I just wanna worship you. I wanna worship you literally my first fruits that could cost me my life for my brother. And if that's what it is, then, then, then praise God because I was killed for your glory. I was killed because you're righteous and you've deemed me righteous. Some of you, this means that you have got to stop chasing comfort in your life. Got to. And that may mean drastic life changes. That may mean financial changes, home changes. That may mean, nope, I'm going to put myself in a little bit more uncomfortable situation around my friend group where I'm going to stand up in confidence and say, no, the scriptures do not say that. So I mean, that means that you need, to, you need to fight a little bit harder against the self-comfort. Some of us, some of us, this is just, just a joy to hear. Just a true joy to hear because you're like, oh, God, you just did something profound. And I just realized that my faith is not mine, it's yours. My acts are not my acts, but they're yours. It's not me doing it. It's your righteousness that's doing it in me. And it takes it all out of our hands. Some of you control freaks are like, oh, I can't handle that. But trust me, there's nothing more freeing than recognizing that the only way I'm deemed righteous before God is because of what Christ has done, which no one would argue. 
then why do we assume our very acts are us? Oh, Adam's up here playing guitar. It's obviously his gifts and his strength and his thing. No, he is, he is submitted to the Lord, and the Lord is doing that for God's glory, not Adam's. And the instant Adam starts thinking it's for his glory, I guarantee he'd walk off the stage and walk away and never, ever stand up here again. Why? Because I see in him a heart to, to, to be righteous, not because he's doing anything, but because God, through Jesus Christ, is doing it in him. Same is true of all of us. Every single thing, any work we do for God are evil to God. No matter if they appear to everyone else as obedient or impressive, if they're presented in evil, not in faith or righteousness. It means when you burn yourself out like crazy serving because you feel like you're trying to please God, and God's like, whoa, 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 you know what pleases me? My righteousness. And you're just living in the faith that I've given you. Stop doing it on your own. The band's going to come up, and we're going to sing, which is one form of worshiping God. It's one form. But let me just push on you for a second here. If this is the only way you can worship God, you have drastically missed the point of following the Lord. If you can't worship God because you're thinking about whether or not Adam's playing the right keys or on the right note or is he, is he in place or, or whether they're, they're playing it, then you've drastically missed the point. Just like in a moment when John comes up, we're going to take an offering. If you're giving and you're like, well, I'm giving God because you know what? You need me, God, and here as I am, that you've missed it. If it's not a sacrifice, if it's not something that you're prayerfully considering that God is pushing on you, that you're just saying, man, it's all yours, God. I don't want any of this. I want only you. If, you, if you've missed those things, then you've got to understand you are worshiping God in the wrong way. And I hate to say this as hard as it sounds. There's only two ways to worship God, in righteousness or evil. There is no neutral way to worship God. And so for some of you, that means you got to stand up going, I made this and this choice and this choice and this choice, and all of these choices were drastically evil and sinful. I made all those this week, but I'm going to stand up and worship you, God, because I'm righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness he's given me. And some of you, it means i got to stop living like that and pretending that his righteousness is covering me when I've never really submitted my life to him as Lord. But either way, you're going to worship. So you can sit in silence, frustration, and say, fine, I won't worship God. Just know that your life will worship something. And there is a way in which all of us get to worship our great King, our great God, through righteousness. And it's done by Jesus Christ. So my hope, my hope is that you have the faith in you, that God would give you the faith to stand up and worship him freely, saying, I can, I can literally proclaim these words as true because they're true. Not because of anything I've done or am going to do, but because of what he has done through Christ. We pray, Heavenly Father, I pray that our lives would be way less comfortable. Father, I do pray. I pray that you would actually allow us to feel the hatred of other people in this world because of our willingness to submit to your righteousness, to live in light of your righteousness. God, not because we want to be jerks, but because we are just operating literally out of what you've given us, what you've put in us through your spirit, God. That's all we're doing. It's your strength. It's your work. It's your spirit. It's not us. And I pray that when we, when we worship you with our lives, that those around us that do not know you would be, be hatred, would, would grow in them towards that. So they would see a joy that comes, that ultimately that hatred would, would find that there's no hope in that hatred, and they only have hope if they come in righteousness to you, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we would live a life where we no longer worship these trivial things. I pray that all week long you'd be peeling away things in us where we realize, oh man, I just worshiped that. 
oh man, I'm, I think I'm worshiping this. And I just, I just pray that you just peel away everything so the only thing standing would be you and you alone. You never, never, ever left. You were never hidden. We just piled a bunch of other garbage around you, assuming it would actually bring joy or hope. Father, would you be exactly who you already are in our lives and would the world see you because of the way that we live submitted to you? Father, as we stand and as we sit, as we pray, as we even get ready to open our mouths, God, may I, I, I pray, I plead, God, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't open our mouths and then be empty graves, but instead words of life would be coming out of us because of the life you've instilled in us. We praise you for the work you're doing in us. We praise you for the pillars of faith. And Lord, I pray, I pray, I pray right now that every single person that has people behind them, whether they're children or friends, that down the road, down, years from now, they'll look back and say, these people, these individuals were pillars of faith for me to see by faith God does in their, in their lives. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue worshiping God as we bring our offerings to him this morning. And I, I just can't help but think about us as a church after hearing the sermon this morning that we have two options. We are, we are either Cain or we are Abel. And I want you to think about that. Like why, why do you give? Why do you give to God? You know, I think so often we see giving as throwing in some money at a street performer who has his guitar case open. We just give because we know we should do because you, you walk by there, so you have to throw some money in there. But this morning, I, I want to challenge you to think about why you give. Why do you give? The manner of the gift you bring is a manifestation of the condition of your heart. Let's say it again. The manner of the gift you bring is a manifestation of the condition of your heart. As human beings, we... When we worship something, we give gifts. We bring sacrifices to the thing, to the being we worship. As I was sitting, I was just telling me that, that we worship ourselves so much, that we'll sacrifice so much for our well-being. We'll sacrifice family, we'll sacrifice friendships to better ourselves. We'll work harder because we want to better ourselves. We'll bring gifts, to, we, we love receiving gifts from ourselves because we worship ourselves and not God. And I, I want this to, to remind you that everything, like what Brent said, everything we do, if it's not out of faith, it's not worshiping God. It's not pleasing Him. God doesn't care how much you give. He doesn't care how much money you put in the bucket. He cares about your heart. So this morning, I want to challenge you. If you are not, if you don't get it, if this has become another ritual on Sunday morning that you have to give, I pray that you don't give. Don't give. Check your heart. But if you're going to give to the Lord, I pray that you will give in faith. This will be an act of faith. Because without faith, you cannot please God, no matter how much you give. You cannot buy your way into God's kingdom. God, I pray that you'll give us, just open our eyes to see how much we've forgotten how to worship you. We just lost it. We've, we've just got stuck in this routine of singing, of listening to the preaching, of going to church, of giving offering. We forget that this is at times a very selfish, selfish act that we don't really think about you. We just do it because we do it every Sunday. 
And God, I pray this morning that you will convict us, God. May us giving to you be an act of trust. May it be out of a heart of rejoicing. May we celebrate in serving you, God. The song we're going to sing now, it says, your love is strong. So why, do I, why should I worry? Why do I freak out? God knows what I need. You know what I need. Your love is strong. And God, as we sing this song, I pray that you will help us to mean what we sing. Maybe be truthful. Help us to truly worship you, God, in everything we do. In your name we pray. Amen.